Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Show where we feature investors with a point of view. I'm Michelle Martin. If you're like most investors, you're already anticipating that the outcome of November the 3rd, the race for the White House, well, you're anticipating it'll have an impact on your money. A majority of investors, some 93% in a recent survey from Hartford Funds, said that they believe the U.S. presidential race will affect the stock market. 84% said they're expecting it to impact their investing habits. 45% say they plan to make changes before the elections. The anticipation in the run-up to November the 3rd has already prompted financial advisors to urge clients to remain calm. So, what can we learn from past elections and what can we anticipate in the run-up to November the 3rd? We put that question to Dhruv Arora, founder and CEO of SAIF this morning. How are you, Dhruv? Good morning, Michelle. Very well. How are you doing? Very good. Good to have you with us. So, U.S. elections, we see a lot of uncertainty, uh, some financial advisors urging clients to separate emotions from their investing decisions, uh, urging, you know, some calm and saying that these elections aren't going to break the United States as we know it. What do you think about the uncertainty in the run-up? Is a major pullback likely before November the 3rd? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great question, right? I think uh, the world's kind of, uh, whole, the whole virus situation has taken a bit of a backseat as, as everyone's looking forward um, to the elections. Uh, to specifically your question, I don't expect us to see a pullback purely because of, uh, you know, uh, the elections. I think the only situation uh, where you would see a pullback is if there is extremely high uncertainty and that is more driven if there's a stalemate, right? If, if there is, you know, a very close competition between, you know, Trump and, and Biden, or Trump chooses not to leave the White House mm. <laughs> because he's, he's saying the voting was rigged because it came through mail. So I think markets don't like uncertainty. Only if we don't have a clear outcome uh, with the elections, I think that is a situation where you expect a pullback, but that is something which I would say is more of a post-fact rather than into the election itself. Fact. Yes, apparently uh, futures contracts uh, that track the VIX index set to expire after the elections are holding at elevated levels and traders are loading up apparently on market insurance because of fears of that contested election that you mentioned there. But in the run-up again, you're not expecting another major sell-off to hit before election day. Not really, not not really. I mean, unless there are like very clear signs of there being, uh, you know, stalemate, I, I, I would I would doubt that. In fact, even if you look at, let's say, versus the 2016 election, uh, the gap that uh, you know Biden has over over Trump is, is much more significant. I think it's about seven points versus the three or four points you had seen uh, mm. Hillary have at the same time, you know, four years ago. At the same time, the polls are wrong then. They could be wrong now. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, we're just hoping the gap is, is big enough for it to be less wrong. Let's put it that way. I think one, one more very interesting point, Michelle, was that mm. I think there were a lot of uh, undecided um, on the edge voters, mm-hmm. uh, which we had in 2016, you know, who were not on, on shore if they're on, on page with, you know, Trump's relatively, you know, extreme stances on, on certain aspects. I think many of those, uh, you know, are decided. They have seen Trump in action for the last four years. So it would be relatively unlikely that you will see that big a swing. Uh, but, you know, um, uh, it could be anyone's guess on that point. All right. Let's take a look at best and worst case scenarios in the short run. 
Mm, the best case scenario, I would say, um, and this is a bit of, you know, I guess our view is that uh, I think Biden wins the elections, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the, uh, you know, the Republic keeps the Senate. Uh, right. Uh, what that means is that, you know, we will not go on one of the two extremes. We won't go massively pro-U.S. or massively uh, pro, you know, globalization in that aspect. Right. I think the decision making might be a bit slower, um, but I think it will be a more relatively, you know, thought out, stabilish kind of outcome uh, in the medium term. Uh, the worst case, as we mentioned, is, you know, what we spoken earlier, where, you know, uh, we have a deeply contested election uh, where, you know, two parties are neck to neck. If you remember back in the year 2000, this happened with Gore and Bush mm-hmm. uh, when it was like a 50-50, you know. And at that instant, the markets pulled back, I think, 7 or 8% in that duration. And sadly, they never really recovered from that because that just uh, led to, I mean, I don't, that did not lead to, but what followed after that uh, was the tech bubble, right? So, so they ne- never really recovered, but there was a correction in the market which was driven uh, by the election. So I think... If there is uncertainty, I would say that is, is the worst case scenario um, in, in, in some regards. Do you think the markets are going to like it if Biden wins and instead of a Republican Congress, there's a split Congress? Do you think equities are going to rally then? I still think that's a better outcome than a stalemate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would still prefer uh, a setup where, you know, uh, we have Biden winning and, you know, uh, the Republic keeping the Senate in, in some regards, right? Uh, so, so I think uh, if, if the outcome that you suggest uh, does happen, what you would see is typically a bit more favor for, for emerging markets. And I think it will be very good for emerging stocks. Uh, but it will slightly be at the cost of, in my view, uh, maybe, you know, the, the U.S. stocks from that regard. Um, the outcome, the ideal outcome, what I believe, you know, as I mentioned, if, if Biden wins and uh, the republics keep the Senate, uh, I think that will be good for the broader markets on the whole, both U.S. as well as emerging, because I think the decision will be a bit more balanced in, in either one's favour. All right. So given these outcomes, bef- before we go to sector-specific implications, um, I wonder if you could go a little deeper into what a Biden win would mean for the markets. Uh, are there small companies that are likely to rally? Are there sectors that are likely to be poised to do well in a Biden win? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, he's uh, been very specific about some of the areas where he wants to, you know, focus on, right? So uh, I think uh, renewables was an area where uh, Biden has been very, very, you know, bullish about. Um, I think the other uh, area, uh, which is also very interesting, could be, you know, uh, longing some of uh, the companies that have lost out because of the of, of the China tariff decisions, right? Mm. So, you know, um, the, the China tariff losers will actually start reversing. And if you've seen the last, uh, you know, a few months, as the probability of Biden winning to some extent has been increasing, um, these mar- these uh, stocks have actually outperformed, let's say, you know, uh, the tariff winners, right? So the tariff losers are doing better than the tariff winners uh, because the possibility that this will turn around should should Biden win. Um, I think the other aspect which we mentioned about would be uh, emerging markets because generally, you know, with Biden being a bit more, um, not rather not so much pro-pro-US as uh, Trump is, mm-hmm. uh, I think you would see some of that love what the U.S. market has experienced, you know, translate into some of the global emerging markets. So markets such as, you know, China, 
uh, markets such as India, Southeast Asia should actually benefit uh, from that setup. Okay, so there have been discussions on, you know, where the U.S. could move in terms of a Biden presidency and those antitrust holdings, anti-competitive holdings affecting the FANG stocks. Um, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Alphabet, those companies, are, are they poised to do well or likely dip with a Biden win? So it's a, it's a good question, Michelle. Both, you know, Trump and uh, and Biden relatively have a tough stance on, on these companies, right? I think uh, essentially both of them have made it a part of their uh, political agenda that what's happening with the FANG stocks is somewhat wrong. Now, in my view, I don't think the impact on tech would be that driven by one or of the other. I think the general pressure is there. Um, but, uh, you know, markets are saying otherwise. And my view is that given they've generally benefited a lot from the pandemic in terms of increased users, increased traction, increased and very good, you know, profit numbers, um, they actually might um, outweigh in the short run um, over, uh, you know, the, the, the presidential election per se. Uh, of course, you know, should want them come into power and drive this point home. I think that that's always a risk you would have in the medium or the long run. But these discussions have been on for years now, right? It's not, it's, it, they just keep up, you know, I think every time it's election season, <laughs> it comes to limelight. Um, but but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry uh, the outcome of the sector purely based on Biden versus Trump. I think the pressure is generally there. Uh, but, you know, the numbers speak otherwise. Do you think the valuations are on point or pretty frothy? Uh, it's a, it's a, you know if 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 I was a pure numbers person as of today it would look a bit on the frothier side but you know today's froth is tomorrow's cream I don't even know if that makes sense <laughs> but 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 the, but the fact what I'm going to say is that you know where what looks expensive today actually as money keeps on getting printed and you know mm. the value of money itself keeps on going down mm-hmm. then these numbers might make much more sense down the line but if I look purely purely from numbers. Of course, I think there is no doubt that, you know, um, the, the valuations are, are much higher than where anyone would have anticipated them. All right. So in terms of mitigating risks for investors who are wondering, what should I do to protect my money in, in case there's a shakeup prior to November 3rd or around there? And they're thinking of bold moves. What would you say in terms of rebalancing portfolios or taking profits from stocks? Uh, what would you say to investors really worried about the November election risk? Yeah, I mean, our view still remains that uh, I don't think there's any reason uh, to panic and, and exit your equity holdings, right? I mean, we still remain positive and, you know, long uh, equities in general. Uh, I think for some of our investors who have expressed some risk, a little bit of de-risking has happened where a part, maybe I would say 10, 20% of their portfolio has been, you know, uh, changed and gone into gold, for example, mm-hmm. um, as as a bit of a, of a de-risking activity. But traditionally, you know, uh, I think if you are going to be investing for a two or three month horizon, then there's be prepared for a lot of volatility. That's expected. I think if you're investing for something which is, you know, about a 12 month horizon, uh, then I think, you know, remaining and sticking to your portfolio allocation is probably the best thing you can do. Because at the end of the day, uh, we know what we will see in the next, you know, uh, three months by and large should be noise. Uh, but but the hope is that, you know, we will, of course, come over it. Uh, just what we have, we saw with COVID, right? The massive, you know, spike down and, you know, then, then, then the rally back up. Here, there could be that uncertainty which would happen over the next two or three months. 
But again, if you're if you're if it's here for the long run, if you stay you know focused and stay on your goal, mm. then I think this ten twenty percent move should not really uh, make a big difference, right? To you. All right. You know, people focus on that long term growth traditionally have turned to the safe dividends uh, that people perceive come with real estate investment trusts. And I know that SIF has created a product to track the SREIT index. And I'm wondering why SREITs and and not something else? Yeah, it's a great question, right? Um, I think we we, we gave it off thought. A couple of reasons why SREIT. I think the first and foremost was we wanted something which was Singapore dollar. So it did not really have an uh, an aspect of currency risk involved, right? Because that is one aspect which has played, you know, both ways over the last, let's say, 12 months, where initially you saw, let's say, Singapore dollar losing value uh, to the US dollar and then recently, you know, uh, gaining back value uh, in some regard, right? So so there's this currency risk which, which we're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing, of course, and one of the most interesting things, and I think you touched on it, was the aspect of dividends. Now, last year, on average, the, the REITs gave a dividend of about 5%. Uh, this year, some of them have been holding back some dividends for, you know, safeguarding against the future and other aspects. But we still expect the dividends to be somewhere, you know, in the 3 4% range, right? Now, in the world where interest rates are getting cut, you know, your banks are, you know, cutting the 0.05% to 0.03%, mm. um, and it's consistently going zero, I think the chase for yield um, is, is very, very important. And unlike some of, you know, I guess the tech stocks and so on and so forth, at the end of the day, real estate uh, is asset-backed. And I always say one thing which is very unique about Singapore on the whole is that Somewhere, I mean, I know we've done an incredible job by, you know, uh, uh, adding on extra land, uh, Marina Bay Sands being a prime example. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is we still have, you know, uh, limited assets when it comes to land in general, right? Uh, so th- having that bit of a, a supply-demand mismatch will always mean that this sector will always and always have an intrinsic value attached to it. Now, it might be 10 20% lower if things are bad, but it's not going to be 80% or 100% lower kind of scenario. So if I weigh in the relative safety of the asset in the grander scheme of things, alongside um, the relative consistency of getting a yield, uh, which is much, much higher than where the banks are, and I don't take any currency risk, I I think it's it's a no-brainer investment, and I think it should be in everyone's portfolio. Um, You know, a small percentage, it should be in everyone's portfolio. So investors generally like REITs for their distribution or dividends, but, you know, we we know that they're capped uh, this year. An index, though, doesn't take this into account. So why buy a product that tracks the index? Yeah, that's actually a very, very good question. I'm glad you asked that, Michelle. I think it's a a very popular misconception that uh, indexes don't give dividends. In fact, the indexes, the goal of indexes to track, you know, a particular benchmark, which is, let's say, comprised of 20 REITs, for example, right? Mm-hmm. As and when these REITs give their dividends, um, the product itself actually gives dividends to the end user also. So though the index might not track the dividend per se, uh, the dividend actually gets paid out. So let's take an example, right? Let's mm-hmm. say if your index was $100, right? and a dividend of $10 was given out, the index will still remain at 100. It won't become 110. But that $10 is actually then paid out to the customer. Uh, and in SAI, for example, they have an option to reinvest you know, that back into the index. So the index goes at $100. They, instead of having one unit, now have 1.1 unit. So they still have gained from the dividend. So it's a great question. I'm glad you asked. But the dividend yields are 
passed on 100% uh, to the consumers and tracking an index does not mean that you lose out on dividends. You 100% gain the dividends and you get all of them uh, back to you. That's very interesting distinction there. Thank you so much for joining us, Dhruv. Thank you so much, Michelle. Have a great day ahead. You too. He's Dhruv Arora, founder and CEO of SIFE, joining me this morning in Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.